Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Some of you apparently are forgetting that lately. Uh, today is June 20th, 2016. This is episode 169. Nice. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. For those listening to us, you should be following us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out at Baltimore Sports Report at baltimoresportsreport.com. Check us out with various other Major League Baseball podcasts at BaseballTalkRadio.com. And if you don't like to go to the internet whatsoever and you just prefer to use third-party applications, we prefer you for you to use Google Play Music and uh, I guess that Apple product known as iTunes. Um, please rate and review the shows if you do so. Um, it certainly helps to build the audience base and uh, let us know how poorly we are doing our jobs. Check us out on social media on Facebook, Google+, Periscope, Snapchat, Instagram, um, all those wonderful things, but most importantly, follow us on Twitter at Bird's Eye View B A L, where you can get all our lovely insight in 140 characters or less. So, with that, drink of the week, Jake. What are you doing? All right, I'm drinking a 312 Urban Wheat Ale by Goose Island, and it's you know, it's it's a beer. It's what you'd expect from an InBev product. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What about you? Uh, I'm doing a. Uh, not a favorite, but one that I've got down here in the uh, podcast studio. It's Flying Dog Fever Dream Mango Habanero IPA. It's it's not bad for a for a nice summer night uh, in in the low nineties. So uh, that's working what we're your way with. through the stock. It's fine. yeah, exactly. So uh, for those that want to know what we're drinking throughout the rest of the week, uh, you can follow us on Untapped. I'm on M A G N eight six zero six, and you, Jake. I'm at Jake E four zero two five. What is your drink of the week? Let us know. Uh, I guess with that, um, it's time for some folks' favorite part of the episode. Let's go through the medical wing. All right, so a few notable additions this week. So Vance Worley went onto the DL this week, which was a little bit of a surprise, I think. Vance Worley, you're hurt. You are hurt, Vance Worley. You are hurt. Which is kind of a shame, because he did come in there and relieve Obaldo, and, you know, he just didn't seem like he was right in the whole thing. I mean, he pitched decent, but you could just tell something was off. Ben Sells was talking to him, so groin strain, you know, just not feeling right down there. Um, what do you think about that? Just Do you think it was a situation, like you said, where the girls said, hey, we want a roster spot, or do you think it was... A situation where something really was hurt. No, I do. I, I think if it were a situation in which the Orioles didn't need a roster spot, it's something he could have played through. I think it's something that he probably would have pushed through. And maybe that's the you know tough guy player talking. Um, but watching him pitch, it didn't look 
like he was having a hard time following through. It didn't look like the finish on his pitches were a problem. He wasn't yanking his body in a weird way that was causing the ball to tail off. Um, if he was experiencing discomfort, I'm not saying that they're completely lying, but if he was experiencing discomfort, uh, I think it's the type of thing that just happens throughout a season. Yeah, I'm not buying this whole conspiracy theory. I think Worley actually did get hurt uh, during that start. Um, and, and I'm not buying that. I think there's other players that could have easily been moved around in order to keep Vance Worley. And I think Vance Worley serves a really important portion of this bullpen um, this early in the season, something that I think we're all surprised at to this point. And the other person that was a really important aspect of, of the bullpen that we thought was going to be this season was Darren O'Day, who's still getting over a hamstring injury after trying to cover first base. He apparently started throwing off of flat ground uh, yesterday, Things seem to be progressing, but there's no rehab timetable coming back. So you would figure it's going to be at least two weeks again. So um, that's a little bit longer than I think we all expected. It's not terrible, but it's one of those situations where when it's one of your top relievers, uh, it's certainly been a nerve-wracking experience. And also, you've seen the bullpen struggle to get by in certain games when you don't have Brock and Britton and O'Day, and you just really have two uh, dominant relievers in the in the bullpen yeah givens may not throw over the top but he's no darren o'day he's no darren o'day um i think givens is uh it, it been very impressive as this way but he doesn't have that track record that you feel like yep i'm fully confident everything is going to be okay here um caleb joe is is working out at double a um he's been playing actually i think he played on a sunday game um i think he had like one hit i think it was a solo homer so I guess Caleb Joseph is working his whoa, way back. Whoa, whoa. Caleb Joseph hit a home run in Double A Bowie. Yeah, get out of town. Doesn't he hold like the franchise record? I think you might be right about that. I mean, it's been such a long time since. Oh wait, it's only been two years. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you you also saw the thing with uh, his new cup that he has, right? The no. Kevlar cup that he has. I missed his Kevlar cup. Uh, I'm gonna have to find this when we're talking later in the show, and I'll bring it up. But uh, there's something like that. The, the, the company is called like Nutsack or something like that is uh is the caleb joseph cut oh goodness gracious so i'll pull that up uh when we get into maybe uh into the next segment i think he needs to share it with dale scott did you see uh dale scott with his injury yeah that was pretty 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 harsh um and not to mention a significant delay in the process too which i'm sure all your kids enjoy just sitting there and just being like why is there no baseball being played it was a long long game look can, can i just dive into my sunday for real quick sure Sunday, uh, we went for Father's Day, um, and we wanted to make sure we got the newsboy cap. Uh, you know, hear you, hear you, read all about it, that kind of thing, extra, extra. Um, so we went early, and we got an eight year old and a five year old, and so they were guaranteed to expire before the ninth inning. Uh, but it was such a long game with the 15 minute delay with the unfortunate uh, injury to Dale Scott, uh, several reviews because John Gibbons was involved, and the fact that they ended up scoring what, you know, 18 runs in that game, 16 runs, something like that. Uh, so we showed up early, uh, five-year-old ran out of steam. So we eventually left, I think in the fifth or the sixth inning, but it was the type of game that we listened to on the ride home, got home. And I watched the last two innings on, on television. That's a long afternoon of baseball. That is a, a long afternoon of baseball. By the way, it is nutshells is the uh, company's name with a Z at the end. Classy. Um, all right. Well, you think it's time we get into 140 characters or less? Let's do it. All right. Let's go to this week on the Twitters. First, I want to start with a tweet from Rockabaco. I'm going to call this interesting timing. And the tweet is as follows. You can, of course, follow uh, Rock at Mass and Rock. Buck said Machado being slow out of the box as, quote, been addressed, end quote, 
hashtag Orioles. We talked about it uh, right before he got suspended uh, about Manny, you know, maybe not doing all the things that he needs to do, maybe uh, getting a little bit of that superstar-itis going on. Is this something you think that we'll, we'll see improved, or is this the type of thing that we're um, really hypersensitive to because he's a great player? Hypersensitive. I remember these similar conversations happening with Adam Jones when he didn't run out of the, the box. People were like, oh, he doesn't give it his all during the games. You know, you would never see that from Marcakis or Brian Roberts. I, I think this is just best player on the team, and everyone is very hypersensitive at this time. Do I think he should be a little bit more diligent on the base pass? Absolutely. But do I think we're hypersensitive? Yeah, absolutely as well. And the question is, I mean, do you think that we've seen an improvement from Adam Jones in in things like this? Well, I mean, he's gotten slower, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next one on the Twitter. I guess this goes into the, why would you even say something like this? This comes from our good friend Dylan Atkinson. You can follow him at D. Atkinson OU. He uh, writes for Orioles Uncensored. If the Dodgers stay in turn with their rotation, the Orioles will face Clayton Kershaw on July 6th. 20 Ks and two solo home runs. Ouch. Why, why Why would we even? What, no, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. I, I'm not even going to think about it until the day it happens. So that means Gallardo is probably going to pitch two, and Gallardo is going to have three solo home runs, right? Right. That's what I like to hear. Clearly. Yeah. This tweet comes from Ryan Wagner, who tweets at rwag614. Just asked a guy if he remembers a few years ago when Boston sports fans were lovable before their teams won titles. He looked displeased. That's funny, Scott. I can't remember that. Can you remember that? No, I can't remember that time. No. All right. Um, next one comes from Brothers in the Infield in Baltimore. Yeah, there's no precedence for that. This comes from David Hall. Uh, you can follow him at David Hall VP. He covers the uh, Norfolk Tides. Infrielder Charlene Scope, Jonathan's brother, will join Orioles from Norfolk just in case he's needed tomorrow. Said, dream come true. Didn't realize it'd be a dream to come true just to take a bus up to Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad in Norfolk. It's kind of a nice town, isn't it? I guess the uh, Kingdom of the Netherlands uh, doesn't really give out a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> All right. Next, uh, we're going to go to the, the guys over at Suspetta's Family Barbecue, who, of course, tweet at Suspetta's Family Barbecue, or Suspetta's BBQ. James Shield going full-blown Ubaldo. Ouch. That hurts that we're a measuring stick, but we are. It's like an epidemic, really. We should really do something about that Ubaldo situation, shouldn't we? We probably should. Um you know, we're coming up to um, the trade deadline in the, in the next few weeks. Um, you think the Orioles are going to do anything? Eh. Nope. All right, Scotty, let's let's do this. Let's open the cupboard. Now, we, we've, we've heard all about the fact that the farm system's thin. I get it. Let's open the cupboard and see what's left. Blow the dust off the shelves and see if there's anything of value that the Orioles can package together to make a trade that will impact this team. Everyone agrees it's the starting pitching that's a problem, right? We don't need to trade for a Gerardo Parra, Gerardo Parra this year. We don't need to add a piece to the lineup. We need to do something about the starting rotation. So I'm just going to lay it out there a few things that I think are worthwhile that the Orioles could trade. And you can tell me if I'm crazy and let's not even, let's not even address yet. Is it really fully possible that it would happen? Just 
are these people on the no-fly list, so okay. to speak? All right. So I'm going to start at the major league level. Yeah. All right. I think Zach Britton. Move on. Uh, Brad Brock. Don't even talk about his name ever again. Uh, Michael Givens. Uh, last year, I think we proved the point. He's untouchable. Untouchable. Jonathan Scope. Okay. There was an article earlier this week um, on Orioles Uncensored that Jonathan Scope is a potential trade option. I believe Jabby Burns would personally fly to the warehouse and burn it down if the Orioles decided to trade away Jonathan Scope. So, no, that's not going to happen. Okay. Mark Trumbo. Uh, I've seen Mark Trumbo's name mentioned. I'm saying they'd be a perfect candidate to kind of get rid of um, and, and basically trade him in his peak value. But there would be a mutiny on hand if that were to happen. Uh, Mark Trumbo is not going anywhere. All right. A little outside the box. Yeah. Caleb Joseph. He has value? Sure. Where? Um... In Kevlar? Yeah. Caleb Joseph is fine. Like, again, a good backup catcher, potentially a starting catcher anywhere in certain places, but he's not going to get you a ton of value. I mean, look at his age. I mean... Sure, not by himself. Not okay. by himself. Okay. I think there are other pieces that people would be much more interested in looking to than a Caleb Joseph with one nut. All right. Well, let's <laughs> let's open up the cupboard then. Let's let's go to AAA. Here's my list. And All right. Um, unfortunately, it's short. Yeah. I've got Christian Walker. Okay. Bat will play in the majors, uh, not playing his primary position. Is he a first baseman? Is he an outfielder? Is he a DH? Yeah. Uh, at the AAA level, Trey Mancini. Okay. Probably one of the better uh, hitting, pieces that we have. Hitting prospects. I'm not sure. sure it's one of the better pieces, but it's one of the better hitting prospects that the Orioles have. Okay. Uh, lastly, at AAA, Mike Yastrzemski. Okay. He's got a good last name. Right. He does indeed. <laughs> let's let's dip a little further Yeah. below. All right. Here, here's AA. Uh, Chris Lee. Chris Lee's actually got a little bit of an impressive track record and some good buzz around him. Um, there's probably several organizations that'd be interested in taking a look at him with his mid nineties. Uh, and it's just the aspect of if someone thinks they could get decent command out of him, he's an interesting trade piece. So yes, Chris Lee gets a gold star for me. That is one player that I think is an interesting option. Okay. Uh, Parker Bridwell. Eh, maybe as a throw in piece. Okay. Chance Cisco, very much of interest to a lot of players. Um, maybe not so much as a catcher, um, but easily could be um, a, a DH slash first baseman. But I, I definitely think Chance Cisco is of interest to several teams. All right, lower than that, I don't think there's really a whole lot to get excited about. I think the only pieces that could be included in a package uh, at various levels would be, of course, Hunter Harvey. Okay, uh, and I have Yomar Reyes here. Yep, I think those are two decent names. Um, David Hess maybe be another one in there in the terms of the double A aspect. Um, there, there's another one or two that I, I'll get to, but I'm going to keep those in my in the back of my pocket for okay. the time being. But if you've got maybe let's say two or three, that means that there's really only a list of what 15 players that the Orioles can reliably package up from their minor league system. Yeah. Realistically, there's probably only like five decent prospects that the Orioles could potentially trade. Yep, I'm, I'm right there with you. All right, so. The next struggle that we have is is timing. And the problem with timing is that we're at a point now where not enough teams are willing to admit that they're out of it. And with the advent of the wild card, there aren't a lot of teams that are out of it. So the Orioles not only have to match up with a team that, that has pitching, right? Starting pitching. Pitching that's better than the five guys that we've got. Sure. They've also got to be a team that is declared out of it or will eventually discover that they're out of it. Or wanting to shred salary. Yeah. 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 All right. So I'm just going to say this first and foremost. Stop saying the name Sonny Gray. Yeah. That is not happening. 
the only way Sonny Gray is coming to Baltimore is if Jonathan Scope is involved in a trade package. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. Um, Sonny Gray is not coming to Baltimore unless Jonathan Scope is gone. So if you want Sonny Gray, then you should be saying goodbye to Jonathan Scope, which I don't know if any Orioles fan out there would do that. Um, I think I would do that, actually. I'd do that in a heartbeat. Do you know how long uh, he's got under club control? Sonny Gray, I believe, is uh, under club control for the next three years, I believe it is. And I, I can check that up while we're talking. But yeah, Sonny Gray... Um, so it would, would not be a rental. No, it would not be a rental is the best way to describe it. So yeah, I think Sonny Gray, again, having a poor season this year, been struggling with some health concerns. Um, he's a free agent at the uh, end of the 2019 season. So he's entering into his first year of arbitration next year so not this year so he's got three years of arbitration available which is again extremely valuable for any team well i also think that works against the scenario because you and i have talked about this at the end of the 28th season is going to be the season where the orioles have the option to tear down sure and if i'm not mistaken i think they will probably avoid adding too much long-term contract over top of that 2018 yeah i don't think gray is that big of a deal because again even if it's arbitration it's going to be pretty cheap um, for a pitcher to have arbitration. In fact, the Orioles need more of those arbitration-like players that actually are really good because, uh, again, those contracts are going to start skyrocketing very soon. Sure. All right, so here's here's I'm going to give you two players that I'm, I'm interested in because, again, I, I don't think the top tier is worth talking about. Okay. Right. So I'm going to move on. I'm going to settle. Right. We're going to learn to settle because this is Baltimore. It's what we do. Um, and so my first player, Scott, is Rich Hill. Okay. All right, a name that's familiar to Orioles fans. We got the crappy... Uh, rich hill here but he has been somewhat impressive admittedly we're talking about a very short period of time sure but he had a strong end of the 2015 campaign when he came back after an injury with uh, the red sox and then uh, he parlayed that into a six million dollar contract with the a's and all he's done is win over there and he's he's the kind of guy with the stuff that he's got that has to be pretty perfect in order to survive but He's doing just that. I mean, his his FIP at this point is 225, and his BABIP, and this is what I think is important, is 293, which means that he's not crazy low and just waiting for regression, right? He's getting hit at about the league average for what BABIP is supposed to be. Sure. So, again, this is a rental, right? The uh, Oakland Athletics are not going to be able to ask for the world. And so I think that this is a guy that we can that the Orioles can bring a package reasonably and not lose much for the future. Other benefits for Rich Hill again, left-handed pitcher, which the Orioles yep. surely are lacking. Um, a few things that bother me uh, about Rich Hill. Number well, one, the first is that he's Rich Hill. I mean, that's number one. Yeah, that that's one aspect. One other aspect is. Um, you mentioned the Babbitt, but the one thing that really bothers me so much is the home run per fly ball percentage, which is at 3.7%. So last year when he was pitching with the Red Sox, it was at 9.1%. So you had to feel like it's going to bounce itself out and he's going to give up a lot more home runs, especially coming into Camden Yards. Um, and Fenway and Yankee right. Stadium. And again, I'm not saying that I'm against Rich Hill. I think Rich Hill is, is fine. The question is, what's your price point? So, Jake, what are you willing to give up for Rich Hill? Not much. I mean, let's let's be honest. When we're talking about what it would take to bring in uh, Rich Hill, we just went through that list of what we had. I, I would not go any further than like a Bridwell, a Bridwell, and another minor league arm that we didn't talk about. No, there, there's no way that's going to happen. Rich Hill again. It's such a small, unisolated uh, pitching. Uh, the amount of pitchers that are available for the trade deadline that a player like Rich Hill is going to ask for a price that's probably higher than he deserves to get. So, for example, if I were trading for Rich Hill, Trey Mancini would be immediately the first name that would come up from the Oakland Athletics and say, I want Trey Mancini. 
And I would probably want a Parker Bridwell or a Chris Lee to go along with it as well. All right. So we have to be careful about falling into the fan thing where we assume that we can trade our trash for their treasure, right? Yes. Is any other major league club going to give the equivalent of their Trey Mancini away for Rich Hill? Yes. Okay. And honestly, we have deeper uh, organizations to contend with. That's the problem is you look at Trey Mancini and Trey Mancini is not even a Baseball America top 100 prospect. We as Baltimore have put a high premium on him because he's like we talked about it. It's all we got and he's our best hitting prospect. But in reality, there's a lot of question marks right around Trey Mancini. Me personally, I think Chan Cisco is much higher than Trey Mancini as both a hitting prospect, but also an overall prospect too. Trey Mancini is a top 200 borderline prospect in my opinion which again doesn't mean he's going to be a great major league talent so if you're going to go out and trade one of the better starting pitchers that are on the market and i'm not saying rich hill is good Mm -hmm. they're going to get something back in return so they're going to get a number three to number five prospect and mancini for the orioles fits into that mold barely (laughs) sure um and and that's the best way to put it so i i think we have to give that consideration of you're not going to get much back for the trade deadline, but you're probably going to give up a lot. Okay. My next name is far less impressive okay. than Rich Hill. So I, I just want to be heard sure. by saying much less impressive. But because he's much less impressive, I think what we're trying to do here is be better than a Baldo and uh, hope that change of scenery and all that other good stuff is significant enough to net uh, a, a win here. So and better s- than a Baldo. Um, so this person breathes is what I'm hearing. <laughs> it's your kid. Sorry. Yeah. Um, what about Ricky Nolasco? Uh, Ricky Nolasco is an interesting scenario. Definitely think it's going to bring in a, a lesser amount of talent than it would be for a rich for a Rich Hill. My question is really, does it make the Orioles significantly better or? Can they get by with what they have in house already? So Ricky Nolasco has a 4.91 ERA right now. He's he's got a FIP of of uh, 3.74, and here's the deal: his BABIP right now is at 3.29. So again, we're not incredibly higher than the league average, right? Which says to me that this is who he is, right? Yeah. Um, and Nolasco is another guy that we talk about. You know, right now he's he's pitching for the Twins in a you know pretty big ballpark. How does that translate over to Camden Yards? But you look at 4.91, 3.74, or 3.47, and you say to yourself. What do the Orioles have at Norfolk or in the bullpen that could give you that consistently? And that's kind of on that edge, you know, of yeah. is it an improvement? And I think that as long with this lineup in this bullpen, if you can have a guy that can can, you know, can bring innings and just be at least um, consistent and and predictable – in a year where you know we're we're running out of bullets in the gun here for playoff appearances, maybe you make this move. Ricky Nolasco is an interesting scenario too, because again, he's on the hook right now for twelve million dollars. He's on the hook next year for twelve million dollars, and he's got a team option for thirteen million dollars that can best in if he pitches at least four hundred innings. Which I don't think he's going to. That's going to happen. Um, there's a few other aspects too. Um, he he can block a, f- a certain amount of teams too. Now the Orioles does not does not do not believe to be on that list. But it's an interesting scenario where the Orioles would be taking on an additional $12 million for a player that is meh. So we've already had Jimenez now, who's basically going to have you $12 million that it's going to be wasted value. So they're really good at throwing away twelve to $13 million on pitching. Right. It's a skill set. Right. So I guess the question would be, do you really want to take a chance on another 
Jimenez like pitcher. Sure. And here's here's another thing about both Rich Hill and Alasco. Both of them are pitching fewer than six innings a start. Right. So it is again uh, uh you know consistent with what we've experienced so far. But again, you know, these are pitchers on teams that are gonna be out of it, and these teams are out of it for a reason. You know, right. their starting pitching is just not that good of the type that we can get. So I'm not saying that either of these players are going to be frontline starters. They're going to be aces for the Orioles. What I'm saying is we've got a gaping hole in the number five spot in the rotation. Can the Orioles spend a little bit in players to go ahead and get something that can stabilize that position? I think those two players are names worth noting, and hopefully Dan Duquette can you know pull a rabbit out of his hat. But, hey, I'm dumb, and, and we, we talk about that all the time. So, Scotty, are there any names – throughout the league that you're targeting for things that the Orioles should be looking for. Sure. So if I'm looking for for a player, I'm looking again for starting pitching if possible. But again, there's not a lot out there. So the one name that I think the Orioles should be linked to, and it's a name that they were somewhat linked to but just couldn't pull the trigger, was Doug Fister. Yeah, they should have done that in the offseason. So that's something that they should have done in the offseason. But again, it's a question of whether Doug Fister actually wanted to come and pitch in Camden Yards in order to basically have a rejuvenating career. So there's many people that have pointed out on Twitter, oh, the Orioles should have gone out and t- signed Tim Lincecum, or the Orioles should have gone out and signed Doug Fister. What the problem with that is, if you're going to come back and have a bounce-back season, people are not going to say, you know what? want to give myself a chance with one year for the Baltimore Orioles and be a pitcher. Now, what's going to happen is a player like Nelson Cruz is going to come in and take a one-year deal because you're going to be able to come into a great ballpark. You're not going to come into the band box, which is Cannon Yards, and also go into the band box, which is mostly American League East parks, and basically allow yourself to be hit around and basically decrease your value. So I I hear that, and you're totally right. right. Just let me play devil's advocate. Sure. Do you think that the way the Orioles are constructed right now, yeah. pitchers might say to themselves, I have the chance to showcase myself in the playoffs? Uh, I think that's a case to a certain regard, but in the offseason, you're not thinking that. But in the trade deadline, it doesn't matter. It's it's outside of their it's outside their control. I mean, the teams get to decide what they're going to do. So Doug Fister is a person that, that I'd be interested in. But I want to take it a step further. The Astros are in this weird position of being, are they a contender? Are they not a contender? But if the Astros are willing to send, sell, there's a lot of players that interest me. So Doug Fister is an interesting name. Tony Sipp is another name that's interesting to me. He's a left-handed relief pitcher who's been eh so far this season, but some of the peripherals that he has is pretty decent. He's also under club control for multiple years. So again, he would give you that left-handed option. Um, so I think he's an excellent bounce-back candidate. And the other name that I think is interesting that I would love to come along would be Marwin Gonzalez, who's a super utility infielder who can play third base, shortstop, and second base. And he actually plays it slightly better than Yanish and Flaherty does. Marwin Gonzalez also offers a better offensive production, and also he's a switch hitter too. So he offers a lot of options out there that Buck really likes to see. Um, the reason I brought up Marwin Gonzalez is right now he's playing first base because he has nowhere else to play. And A.J. Reed right now is in the Astros organization. He's one of the top prospects in baseball. A.J. Reed's going to have to come up, and Marwan Gonzalez is going to have nowhere to go. I think that if the Astros want to make that move, Marwan Gonzalez could be that move of saying, we need to get rid of Marwan Gonzalez because we have nowhere else for him to be. So here's what I'm proposing. If I'm going to get Doug Fister, Tony Sipp, and Marwan Gonzalez, I'm offering to the Astros Tanner Scott, who is a name that we didn't bring up, yep. but a player that is a left-handed relief pitcher in high single A right now that's pitching around 99 to 100 miles per hour. Again, command issues, but a lot of potential there. I'm offering Mike Wright, who's been very much of interest to a lot of teams thinking that they could make Still? something of him. Yeah, they think they can make something of him. 
I'm offering a B or C level prospect, a name that we didn't mention, but is deeper on the draft board. And the other thing I'm offering over the Astros is I'm offering up a ton of international draft money slots. The Astros are primed to be huge in the international uh, free agent market this summer. I'd offer them all of that in order to get Doug Fister, Tony Sip, and Marvin Gonzalez. You yeah. are going to give up the international signing? Really? I, I know. I mean, the Orioles are, I don't know what the Orioles are going to do with it, but <laughs> but that's what I'm going. I think they're going to throw in the banana stand. Yeah. Look, the Astros are a really interesting team for the Orioles. Um, there's a lot of interesting arms in there. Will Harris is one interesting arm that I think the, the Astros have. His ground ball percentage right now is 64.2%, and he's got some great K per nine and walks per nine. But again, he's under club control for another two-plus years. So if the Orioles could get him and the Astros are willing to move him, I jump on that in a heartbeat. Um, but again, I, I don't think the Astros are going to be moving any of their bullpen pieces right now. But it does raise an interesting question to me. We talked about it earlier in this segment. Um, the Orioles, oh, they have to go get a starting pitching. But my question is this, Jake. Do we really need to go get a starting pitcher? Because we're in a situation where it doesn't really look like the starting pitching is that great. Um, and let's let's be honest. The Orioles are setting themselves up to be in pretty good shape to potentially get to the playoffs. And if the Orioles get to the playoffs... Why can't they just get by with what they have and just go with a bullpen shuffle? Buck was very quick uh, in the 2014 series to go to the pen after three or four innings. If the starters just really weren't doing that great, why not try to replicate again? Uh, the Orioles went out and got Andrew Miller, um, who's been mentioned as a trade possibility. I don't think that's an option for the Orioles this year. Nope. But, you know, in, in terms of other options out there, um, you know, should the Orioles go out and maybe get a relief pitcher that's been dominant? One name that I think would be interesting was uh, Rodis Viscano um, with the Atlanta Braves, who um, is under club control for two years um, and has some really interesting splits um, against left-hander as well. I think he'd be a really interesting addition. And again, he could be a great setup man slash seventh inning guy and really give the, the Orioles another little wrinkle and option in there. Um, I, I think that's important to really have going forward is maybe it's not the great idea to go ahead and get a mediocre starter. Maybe it's best to go get a multi-inning reliever or a setup man at this time. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I, I think that I would agree with you deeper into the season. Yeah. But the Orioles have to remain in first place or at the wild card level all throughout the season in order to get there. Mm-hmm. And if the playoffs started tomorrow, I would say, boy, howdy, this team's in pretty good shape, right? Because yep. you've got at least one starter you trust two starters you kind of trust yep. and that's probably enough for each series to to move through and the other aspect is with the going for the reliever aspect you kind of get back into the situation when you were in 2013 with k-rod it's like yep. well we're going to make this minor move to go get k-rod and then you're just like well that did nothing for us like that wasn't enough of a needle mover to make any significant impact and to a certain regard people complain about that from the andrew miller standpoint of saying was the andrew miller move really significant enough to make a big deal for the Orioles. And I don't think any reliever is going to make a significant move regular season. Mm-hmm. This is a move where you're just making it for the postseason uh, and going from there. Look, I don't think a single inning reliever is really going to do it. I don't even know if Viscano would actually do it. I was looking around at multi-inning relief pitchers. I didn't really come across any that just wowed me. But I really think it'd be interesting for the Orioles to potentially go out and get a decent multi-inning relief pitcher and really just load up on saying, we have got Bundy, we've got Worley, we got Odrisma Despagne, we've got Brock. All these pitchers can give us two-plus innings. And if we can get two-plus innings and we can get our starters five-plus innings, we can get to O'Day in Britain, and that's enough for us. 
I, I think if the Orioles can't get a reliable starter, someone whom we know we're going to get five-plus innings out of every time and not have a right slash of Baldo meltdown every yeah. fifth day, I think they should stand pat. Okay. Um, but if they can get anybody who, again, is better than the, the complete Hindenburg that we have in our number five hole, I think it's worth doing. Okay. Um. Well, I, I think we've talked this out as much as we can, and I think the horse is glue. Yeah, I, I think we basically need to see what transpires. But those are just some ideas that are out there for folks. Um, let us know your thoughts um, on Twitter um, at hashtag O's Trade, um, and, and just let us know who you think the Orioles should go out and trade for, and offer some suggestions about who the Orioles should be willing to give up. We all like to go out and get that top player, but you got to like, kind of work with what you got. So. Let's go through a little bit more reality and less speculation. Let's go around the bases and talk about what happened this week in Orioles baseball. All right, so we're going to start at first base this week. And um, well, Orioles fans are playing Rodney Dangerfield again. So if you've been paying attention to social media, you'll find O's fans all over, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, who are upset that national media outlets do not seem to think the Orioles should be ranked very highly. So SAI and ESPN always do their power rankings. And you know, even people have complained about on the Orioles subreddit about MLB's network's coverage of the team, liking it to the the Bristol Stomp. Um I guess the question is, maybe this is too flawed of is is this too flawed of a team to get too much respect in June, or is this just Baltimore Baltimoreans having a chip on their shoulder once again? Oh, I think it's the latter. I think I clearly think it's the latter. And also, who cares? Yeah, who cares? You know, it's funny because uh, Buster only always puts his you know top ten teams of the, for the week or whatever in Twitter, and then says you know fire away and complain. Oh, you remember who that power ranking was last week, right? No. Not this week, last week, right? No, a what? No. You don't keep accurate, accurate. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it is. Just move on past it. It's not a big deal. Look, if you want media coverage of the Orioles and you want them to be heralded up, tune into us. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll put them up as high as we possibly can. Okay, it's not very high because we're we're weak men, but we and, will try. And really, if that's what you're interested in hearing, turn in tune into the the pre and post game show for Jim Hunter and and Tom you know, Davis, Tom Davis, and Rick and Dempsey, Rick Dempsey right. and they'll tell you all how we're the best team in the league. Right. If, if you want cheerleading. Go ahead and do that. But don't be don't whine about it while the Orioles are in first place. That should be enough. Right, exactly. Yeah, you want to go to second yeah, base, Jake? Let's let's take second base. Uh the Red Sox just waved uh Rosny Castillo, who uh, was uh waived and then cleared waivers. So they outrighted him to triple A Pawtucket. And so in unison, I believe Orioles fans are asking, Why can't we do this with a baldo? Well we could. Sure. But Alboros had to agree to it. Absolutely. So Castillo agreed to go down. Well, they could waive him. Well, they could waive him. But again, even if he's waived, Alboros would say, say, I'm going to be a free agent because I'm not going down to Norfolk. Right. So Castillo basically said, uh, well, if no one's going to pick me up off of waivers, I'm willing to go to AAA Pawtucket because no one else is going to pick me up otherwise um, unless it's for a minor league deal, which I guess he could do that. But in reality, it's best for him to go back down to Paul Tuckett and see what kind of value he can get out of there as of anywhere else. Oh, absolutely. And, and let's just point this out. The Red Sox are now stuck with a $72 million mistake, mm. right? And yeah. he just signed that deal, I think it was 2014. Yes. 
And the Red Sox now have to eat this. Yeah. Now, of course, they're doing so in in a position that is not an area of organizational weakness like like the Orioles are with with uh, Ubaldo Jimenez. No, they but have a lot of money. It's still nice to see. It's still nice to see this happen to other people and say, oh, mismanagement, poor luck, and the like don't just happen to the Orioles. See, I have a beef with this to a certain regard because you've already had the issue with Pablo Sandoval. Now you're having the issue with Castillo. And you can still look at the Red Sox, and they're starting to, again, spend the money recklessly and just being like, eh, we've got the money. We can spend it. And it comes back to the whole aspect of it's just like the Yankees during the late 70s and early 80s. And it's like, we're just going to spend the money because we can, not because there's anything stopping us. Um, And it's really annoying when that happens, because if that were to happen to the Orioles, just like you have with Abaldo, you basically have to dance around it. And you can't just say, oh, we're going to get rid of it. So I understand what you're saying is it's nice to see. But at the same point, it's very difficult for me to see because it obviously shows the unfair advantage that certain teams have in saying we can take a $100 million hit and just basically say, eh, it's not a big deal. Sure. So, I mean, clearly we can't do this with Ubaldo Jimenez, but uh, I'm going to ask you to look into the crystal ball. Do you think we'll see Ubaldo back in the rotation uh, at some point this year? Yes. Yeah. I think we'll see him back on Wednesday. Yeah. I think he's going to pitch on Wednesday. Okay. I think that he'll get it together, and by the end of the season, we'll be saying, God, that was ugly in the middle there, but I guess he ended up okay. Because that's that's what we do. Right. Right? We get ready to run him out on a rail, and then, you know, he pitches just well enough for us to put the tar and feathers away. Yep. All right, let's go ahead and check out third base. All right, talk to us about third, Jake. Uh, We didn't talk about a player earlier on and i'm glad he wasn't one of your surprises i want to ask you about oliver drake yeah is oliver drake a thing he is a thing so he was the orioles 2015 no he was the 2015 minor league baseball reliever of the year and was just recognized recently as the player of the week i have to be honest i was very unimpressed with oliver drake during his cup of coffee with the orioles um you know, mechanically, it, it looked like, you know, he was shot putting the ball more than he was pitching, and and then the results weren't very good outside of the aesthetics. So, Scott, talk me off the ledge with Oliver Drake. Do we have something that we could use in the Norfolk shuttle? Me, personally, I think that Oliver Drake would be a much better option up here than Brian Dunsing. Oliver Drake has some really great splits against left-handed pitching, and he's a right-handed pitcher. Mm-hmm. But, again, going against left-handed hitters, he's got some really great splits um, over his entire career. So I would much rather see Oliver Drake up here than Brian Dunsing. Um, Oliver Drake started the season off a little on the rough side, but I'm all about Oliver Drake coming up here um, sooner rather than later. I am, uh, I'm, I'm not convinced yet, but I'm, I'm willing to be convinced. All right. I want to, I want to go ahead and tee up home plate here. Cause I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Uh, at the end of the 2016 season, the CBA is up for renegotiation. Yeah. The MLB is enjoying a time of just unheralded success. Uh, there's longstanding labor peace. I can't imagine 2016 being a year where baseball and the players would ruin this for themselves. So I'm really not worried about a work stoppage. But I am interested to see what changes take place in this game that we enjoy so much out of the uh, of the CBA negotiation. So let me just throw a couple things out at you. Sure. And, you know, it's like almost like word association here. Yeah. Uh, 2016. Yeah. Designated hitter in the National League. Uh, yes, agreed to, will not be implemented for three plus years. Okay. It will allow everyone to basically have some time to basically... Make peace with it. Massage their contract, massage contracts and stuff like that. I don't think it's going to get dealt with this time, but it is just a ticking time bomb. 
time bomb. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you about this draft compensation with the qualifying offer and the qualifying offer in general. The qualifying offer is gone. I don't know what the heck they're going to do, but it's gone. And they're going to come up with some other stupid, screwy system, just like it always has been with free agency. Um, but the qualifying offer in its current incarnation is dead as of this next CBA. Is there anything that can be salvaged from the qualifying offer? Does any part of it make sense? Is there is there something they should use as a, a roadmap for future? Um, yes, they should do exactly what the Orioles don't do. So whatever they are, Orioles going to do, just do the exact opposite. But no, there's been plenty of recommendations and stuff like that. This is really going to come down to what are the players' union wants they're going to get. Yeah. So yeah. it's as simple as that. All right, we talk about you know the fact that you can trade um, you know comp picks, but you can't trade regular picks. Do you think there will be a tweaking for what can and cannot be traded from team to team in different portions of the year? I think comp picks are going to go away, and that's my my theory. Um, and I, I don't think slot money is going to change too much either. I I, I think overall the the pick the draft system is what it is. The big question is is it something going to happen to the international free agency? aspect i think everyone kind of thinks it's something as big, big as going to happen and this is like the last year where you basically can go really hard into international free agency i don't know what the, the major league baseball is going to do about it but the international free agency spending and a potential draft is going to come up as a topic point in the cba okay i'm not so much sure that this is an issue for the cba because i think they can handle it outside but do you think the cba will have anything to do with the review and challenge system uh i'm gonna say no i think rules committee handles that rules side. committee hands that side yeah i'm gonna say no all right drug testing and penalties yes yeah what do you think uh, i think it's going to become more stringent and i think that's really what's going to be i think it's just become more stringent so they're going to up the numbers for each uh, yeah i think you're starting to see players be less tolerant of their colleagues um, you know, coming up with, with positive tests. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think it's just going to be one of those situations where it's going to get really, really aggressive is the best way to approach it. All right, last one that I had for you. Something that gets a lot of press here is the amount of money that is paid to minor league <sighs> yeah. players. Do you think that the Players Association, though they do they they don't represent minor league players, correct? They don't. So though they do not represent minor league players, do you think that the Players Association will make a play to have baseball get some sort of uh, structure put together to better support minor league baseball players? They should, but I don't think they are. The problem is, is that at the major league level, that takes money out of the pie for both sides. Right, exactly. And even though it's the right thing to do, it certainly won't happen because of these negotiations. It's the right thing to do, but with everything else that we just talked about above it, I think it's going to get tabled is the best way to describe it. And it shouldn't get tabled. It should be one of the top items on the agenda, but it's not going to get done, which All is right. a shame. So do you agree with my assessment that, that labor peace is probably a, a foregone conclusion? Yes. There's too much money out there right now um, that Major League Baseball players and the owners cannot walk away from. I think this one's going to be interesting because I feel that we're in a TV money bubble yes, right now. I think everyone agrees with that. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how much the how much more the players can argue for and how long that stays in, in place. And, and the question is, will that chunk of the pie that the players carve out for themselves still be there once the bubble ends? Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, definitely something to keep an eye on as the CBA progresses. I think we'll get some more... Interesting factoids in August and September this year, but yeah, 
I'm not too concerned about the end of the 2016 in the CBA. Um, I think that's why a lot of people really haven't been talking about it in, in, in the articles because they're just assuming that it's a general conclusion that something is going to get approved. And it's probably going to be like a thing of boggle where you're just like, why did they agree to that and not this? And, and it's going to come from there. So, yeah, interesting home plate topic. Interesting home plate topic. All right. Um, speaking of interesting topics, um, Fantasy Boss last week. Um, I don't want to talk about it. It, it, it was certainly um, certainly interesting. I don't want to talk about it. When it comes to rocking and natural finger popping, baby, you sure do swing. When it comes to rocking and natural finger popping, daddy, you're the king. Baby, you got me feet up and down, inside and out, and across. But it does mean another night when the moon is shining bright. Ooh. Yeah, I was the boss last week. So. I'm beginning to think that you can put Gwen Stefani and Brian Setzer behind glass. They're yeah. not going to be needed anymore. I don't know. We'll, we'll, these things have a tendency to work themselves out. So we picked Dongs last week. So I picked Jonathan Scope, who three home runs last week? Kind of lost his mind. Kind of lost his mind. And you picked Mark Trumbo, who is the MLB home run leader right now, as, as, even with zero home runs this past week. So um, very interesting. Um, so that brings me up by two, I think it is, at this yeah, point. Four so, two. Four two. So Jake... Your category again this week. All right. I get to pick again. And, you know, originally we picked some weird stats, right? And I really like... Weird stats. Weird stats. I really like the way to runs created plus, right? And so I was trying to think of some way to do it. But there's no way to to count along with that. Right. The thing is about the dumb stats is that, you know, people tweet at me like, oh, Jake, you idiot. Uh, There's another uh, home run by scope. So I, I want this week to do another counting bit. Um, so I'm going to pick a stat, but then I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Okay. Because I'm behind and I need to catch up. Okay. So I'm just going to do straight hits. Okay. The number of hits, extra bases, singles, what have you. All right. I'm going to go with Chris Davis. All right. I am going to, I'm going to, this is a stupid pick. I'm, well, you think you're picking foolish. I'm going to go with Adam Jones. See, I think Adam. I was thinking Adam Jones because it feels like he's going to turn it around anytime now. Here's the thing: Adam Jones is is hitting for power, but he's not. His on base percentage isn't great right now. Right. Like, well, not for a leadoff hitter, right? Uh, but I, I think Adam Jones is settling in to the point where he's going to hit. I'm hoping you're right about about Chris Davis. By I'm, the way, I'm so disappointed with hits on this R team that I was almost tempted to take Manny Machado. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he might come back and take take the crown. All right. So for number of hits, just straight count. Straight number counts. of hits. You took Davis. I took Adam Jones, but look, I'm two behind. Yeah. So we need to figure out a way for me to catch up. And so here is what I'm going to propose. And you can oh, veto this God. because this is, a, this is a major change to how Fantasy Boss is played. I want to throw in some wild cards. Oh, wild cards. And so these will be a single point uh, bonus that you just add to your total no matter what. Okay. And we'll play it throughout the rest of the season. Okay. Okay. So, Scott, I will, I'm going to give you the first one. Okay. And and I want you to tell me between now and the end of the season, who do you think the next Oriole will be to hit a triple? Uh, the next person to hit a triple, I am going to go with Johnny Baseball, Jonathan Scope. You think Jonathan Scope is going to hit the next triple? Yep. Here's um, okay. That's that's a that's a choice. That's a choice. I'm going to go with Matt Weeters. 
Wow, that is a real choice right there. He always does it. He, he does have a he, tendency he to hit triples. He does get a triple like every season, and you never know why it happens. All right, so I'm going. I'm writing these down because otherwise I'll forget it. You went with scope, right? Yes. All right, Scott. Yes. Who do you think the next Oriole will be to hit a grand slam? Uh, I'm going to go with Johnny Scope. I was also going to go with Johnny <laughs> Scope, which means I'm going to have to settle for Davis. All, All right. right. Hang on. So Grand Slam, uh, you're going with Scope, and I'm going to go I'm answering with- like Javi Burns would, <laughs> which is every single answer is going to be Jonathan Scope. So everything is coming out Tito's flavored? Yes. Who do you think the next pitcher will be with an eight-inning performance? Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman. All right. I'm going to go chalk, and I'm going to take Tillman. Smart move. Yeah. All right. Who do you think the next pitcher will be with 10-plus strikeouts in a game? Uh, Chris Tillman. So, I mean, the obvious choice for me here is to say Kevin Gosman. Uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with Wilson. Okay. So congratulations. You just got a point. I got a point. All right. So those are my four bonuses. Do you have any bonus uh, activities you would like to bring up here? No, I'm not going to bring up anything at this moment because this is pretty much the most ridiculous thing that has ever happened on Fantasy Boss. These are bonus Fantasy Boss spots. This is absolutely ridiculous and uh, unprecedented, which leads us into our next segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad. And the ugly. I'm going to get started this week. So the good this week has to go to Tyler Wilson for an eight-inning start. Mm. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful pit, piece of pitching. Um, that deserves a hat tip anytime time after you see it. And someone pitching for his life, I guess, to a certain regard. But, yeah, Tyler Wilson, bravo, sir. Bravo. I, want, I so want him to be good. Well, you just keep praying, okay, at night. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, how about you? Who's my, your good for the my week? My good for this week is going to Ryan Flaherty. Look. What? Yeah. It can't be Jonathan Scope? No. It oh, can't. my goodness. They can't all be Jonathan Scope. Uh, Ryan Flaherty stepped up for a suspended Manny Machado, and all he did was hit and field his brains out. Um, I, I was really pleased to see uh, him step up in that moment. And the thing is, that is what Ryan Flaherty is for, Right overexposed when you play him too much but the value of ryan flaherty is exactly what we saw on sunday with manny machado being suspended in that first game all right so my bad um so it was father's day uh this past sunday uh and my wife got me a trifecta of books so she got me the dan Connolly book 100 things to do before uh you die in terms of the orioles thing and then she got me the jim palmer nine runs to success or whatever it i can't is. wait to read them after you're done yeah, yeah. And then I got a book called Skipper Supreme, Buckshaw Walter and the Baltimore Orioles, which I actually was very excited about. Um, it's from Todd Karpachev and Jeff Seidel, both um, who write for the local media. One writes for The Sun. One writes for The Washington Post. I was like, this is going to be really interesting. Uh, and then I got into it, and um, extremely disappointing book. Uh, a lot of just quotes from articles, no stories from behind the scenes, no aspects of, you know, the inter politics of the Baltimore Orioles and stuff like that. Just a complete 
waste. And it, it felt to me like the book maybe got started right around like when the riots happened and they were like, well, we're going to use this as a, a piece to talk about the riots and talk about how the Orioles and Buck responded to it. And maybe it'll lead into a World Series trip. And then we have like our book that will basically be this whole thing. It'll be a bestseller and stuff like that. But it felt like they got to the end of like, well, the Orioles really weren't that that good in 2015. So like <laughs> we've got really nothing to talk about. But it's just like it was it, it was a poorly done book. Um, it was only 184 pages, too, which is just, again, not worth it. So for anybody that's looking for a book out there, Skipper Supreme, do not recommend. Skip, do not try it. You should uh, skip it supremely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So don't, I should, should have known when Jason Lockenfor had the foreword, basically. I knew but, it was coming out there yeah, somewhere. But it just, pure garbage. Pure garbage. All right. My, that should have been your, your ugly. I can only imagine what your ugly was yeah. this week. My, uh, my bad goes to the Babip Dragon. Because he manhandled J.J. Hardy on Sunday. Hardy came back, and I was really pleased with the solid contact that Hardy was making. Warning track power, deep outfield hits, and one was hauled back from being a home run. So yeah. really, really um, good signs from J.J. Hardy. It looked like you know he, he's at least not in a funk where he's missing the ball, and you know, it's going to take him a while to get his timing back. So my bad goes to the Babbitt Dragon. Okay. You made a point earlier um, when we were talking about the bat of saying that Skipper Supreme should have been your ugly, but there was something that was even uglier this week, and that has to go to Mike Wright, who is absolutely atrocious. When Mike Wright pitches so bad that Buff Showalter feels like a Baldo Jimenez is his best option to go to, you never want to see a Mike Wright, a Baldo Jimenez game ever again in your life. It was a pure disaster of a game. Mike Wright is not a major league starter. I would rather have a Baldo Jimenez starting a game than Mike Wright, which just tells you how bad things are. Mike Wright is not going to be a starter anymore for this team. At best, he's a reliever for this team. Mike Wright, he's my ugly, and he's going to be my ugly for a while. Well, he won't be a Lifetime Achievement Award ugly like Baldo Jimenez, uh, whom I did not pick for that reason that we retired him. Uh, For my ugly this week, I'm going to go to all of us. Not all of us, but all of us who panicked. At a 13-3 loss to the Blue Jays. Look, rough series in Toronto. After beating up on bad teams, we talked about, you know, win the games you're supposed to, yada, 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 yada. Got beat up in Toronto. Wasn't a good look. Came into Boston, and I would say, you know, squeaked by with a series win. But then the Orioles come to town, back home, and just get the doors blown off. And like we do, we fans, and I'm, you know, I'm including myself among them, we panicked, and there was a lot of negativity. The internet was not a place you wanted to be, slash my living room, yeah. on, on that day. And so looking at the results now, I just want to say, slow your roll. We all are ugly. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and blow the save. Let me play some music for you here, Jake. You don't want me to talk over this? You can talk right now. You don't want me to talk over the music? You can talk right now. Go for it. All right, I'm going to blow the save uh, this week with an article in the Baltimore Sun by Peter Schmuck talking about Jake Arrieta. And it was interesting to me um, because the article talked in part about whether or not Arrieta thought he would have succeeded in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, he took a really classy take on his look back in Baltimore and threw more on himself than the failures of the organization. Would have been easy to, you know, trash the organization uh, but he, he took the high road, which probably speaks to the maturity that's helped him, you know, regain, or, you know, claim the, the talent that was already there. 
So it, it was definitely worth a read. I thought it was interesting. But Scott, I want to ask you an unrelated question. Okay. Uh, do you get the impression that Peter Schmuck has completely lost his gourd on Twitter? Yes, he gives absolutely no care in the world anymore. This season, and, and I didn't notice it last season, but this season, I feel like Peter Schmuck is like a barstool fan just raging when the Orioles do poorly. I, I disagree. You should have noticed it last year. The absolute disregard and kind of aspect of Peter Schmuck just kind of waltzing into the press box and being like, I'm here. <laughs> I don't dislike Peter Schmuck. Don't I, get me wrong. I, I, no, I don't like to dislike Peter Schmuck, but there's definitely an aspect of like, but he's like, please, like, <laughs> I got this. Like, let I me just, put my Hawaiian shirt on. You should just see what the sun is paying me right now. It is absolutely peanuts. No, like literally, they just literally open my check up and there's just peanuts in there. And it, Peter Schmuck just doesn't give a dang right now. He's, he, and he's completely lost patience with the Orioles. That's the other thing. Like, like I feel like he's just lost the last bit of decorum that he could possibly yeah. own. And the articles are getting – Peter Schmuck is being, being Peter Schmuck. He's being a <laughs> schmuck. It's, it's as simple as that. So, yeah, Peter Schmuck does not care. It's as simple as that. So, yeah. Let him keep wearing his wine shirt. John Mioli is doing an excellent job, I think, as the one of the Baltimore Sun beat writers. So, kudos for him. Um I guess that's all we have to talk about in terms of traditional media. So, interesting week ahead. Texas Rangers Monday in Arlington. That's so weird. San Diego for two games and then against the Rays. Um, You know, the Orioles should do very well this week outside of maybe the Texas game. Um, You know, the Padres and the Rays, both two struggling teams. you got to hope that you're pulling at least four games out of this five-game set. you got to hope, right? That's the hope, yeah. All right, well, with that... Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing left for you, so I'll bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. Gosh, I can't even believe that we didn't get a Donks for Dads thing in there tonight. I totally whiffed on that. On on Father's Day, I totally forgot about Donks for Dads. And you went to American University. I did. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.